Welcome to the Ridge Life Podcast. We at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship trust this message will be an encouragement to you. Please join with us as we look into God's Word with Pastor Mike Bird. This morning we're going to be in uh, Romans chapter number 6. And uh, last week we just began this uh, new uh, series on Christian growth and as I had said, it's important for us to lay a doctrinal foundation of what growth is or what sanctification is, primarily because there is a lot of misunderstanding of what Christian growth is, or when a person comes to faith in Christ, um, some people believe that that uh, person is no longer able to be to, to sin. Uh, some people believe that that person uh, no longer has the capacity capacity to sin. Um, And so it's important to understand what uh, Christian growth is, what sanctification is. And so today and the next couple of weeks also, we're going to get a little bit more understanding. We're going to dig into this a little bit more uh, because remember what I had said, it's, it's important to have the doctrinal side of it uh, in order to have the practical side. So if your, if your doctrinal foundation is not sound, then the practical side of that, uh, the application of that, is going to be skewed uh, in a sense. And uh, so it's important to to understand that. So today we're going to be here in Romans uh, chapter number six. And uh, I believe this is really going to help us understand this doctrine of growth or sanctification. And really, over the next uh, couple weeks, we're going to look at six, seven, and eight, Romans six, seven, and eight. And uh, these chapters will really uh, lay down what it means to grow or to live uh, the Christian life. Now, it'll be good for us to, to briefly define sanctification again, as we looked at last week. Perhaps, uh, Chance, sorry, maybe you weren't here, or uh, maybe it's just good to get a, a good reminder of that. But sanctification is the act of God where he separates us to himself. That's what the word holy means. Uh, We are to be holy, as what uh, scripture teaches us. And so uh, when God says uh, you are to be holy, he is saying, I have sanctified you, I have set you apart uh, for my own use and purpose. And uh, we used, uh, uh, we looked at three aspects of sanctification last week. The first one was that positional sanctification. That's when a person uh, becomes a believer in Christ. Positionally in Christ, uh, they are declared uh, holy. Uh, it's that state of holiness has been imputed to the Christian. And uh, this has more to deal with our position in Christ, who we are in Christ. Um, We are set apart for the Lord's use. And this is exactly what uh, the Lord accomplished for us on the cross of Calvary at the moment of salvation. When we said yes to Jesus, when we repented of our sin and trusted Christ, believed the gospel, at that moment, we were set apart Uh, for the Lord's use. Then the second aspect of that is our progressive or our practical sanctification. This is the day-to-day outliving of our position in Christ. So if you know Christ, then live like it, right? That's the whole point. Be holy, 
because I am holy is what the Lord says. Okay, this is the practical side of Christian growth. Um, it involves putting off the old man and putting on the new man day by day. Every single day we make those decisions and it's practical and it's progressive. Um, then finally, the last one is that perfected sanctification. That's the moment when Christ returns. Uh, and as what uh, scripture teaches us will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, right? Uh, our bodies will be changed and will be holy, holy. That's what it says, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy, holy. And uh, this is the ultimate sanctification, which both our body and spirit are, will be holy unto the Lord. Now, what we'll be looking here today here in Romans chapter six is really dealing with our position in Christ and how that should affect our practical day-to-day -day growth in Christ. So if you are holy, then live like it, right? Be that way. So hopefully what we'll see here today in the chapter is not so much the how of sanctification, but the why. Why? Why should I live? a holy life? Why should I live a life of growth and sanctification? Why should I live that way? Uh, so this is what I'd like for you to take away with you today. And really it's a question. What is my motive to grow in Christ? Why should I desire sanctification? What is my motive to be growing in Christ? What's your motive? So let's look here in uh, Romans chapter number six. First thing I want you to notice here is how can we live? This is a question that's gonna be asked by Paul here in, in Romans six. Now, before we jump into this, if you want to know about how God worked uh, salvation, what he did in salvation, what he's doing in our salvation and what he'll do through our salvation, and really the book of Romans is the foundation of all of that. I mean, it is, a, it is a book rich in doctrine, talking about our salvation, how God worked salvation, what he did, how he's doing it. And I'd encourage you to, to read and study the book of Romans. Uh, it's got some really great uh, doctrinal truth and kind of really the meat and potatoes of our salvation. There's some really good stuff there. And uh, the sixth chapter here begins here with a question. Verse number one, look what the question that he asks here. What shall we say then, right? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? <laughs> By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? This is all part of our sanctification. This is all part of our growth. And he's asking this question. This question is somewhat prompted really by Paul's statement in the previous chapter in uh, Romans uh, chapter five, verse number 20. And he says this about the fact that grace abounded all the more. Where sin increased, grace abounded. So no matter the amount of sin, no matter how, the, how gross the sin was, grace abounded more and more. And Paul's saying because of that, because of knowing the grace of God and what God has done through our salvation, he's asking the question, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin just because the grace of God abounds? Are we to continue living that way? By no means, he says. 
How can we who died to sin still live in it? And so if you really get the idea behind this question, it really makes sense of why we need growth, why sanctification is important. And uh, so it's important to understand that. So Paul's summary answer is contained here in verse number two. And look what he says, by no means. That expression there, by no means, occurs in Romans. It's Paul's passionate response to an improper conclusion. You see the passion behind it? By no means, no way. I really like the way that the, um, uh, the King James reads. It says, God forbid that we should live this way. Just because of the grace of God and how wonderful and how rich and how glorious it is. He says, by no means are we to continue in sin just because of the grace of God, how, how it's extended to us and how it abounds. You see, man's sin does reveal the manifestation of God's grace, but we are not to continue a life that is characterized by sin. The reason is because such a practice would be inconsistent with our position in Christ. What is our position in Christ? If you know Christ as your savior, he has set you apart to be holy. And for us to continue a life of sin and to continue a pattern of sin in our life, it would be inconsistent with our position. You see, remember the moment we trusted Christ, we positionally in Christ were declared holy. We were sanctified, we were set apart for God's use. So how then could we continue to live in sin? How could we continue to do that? So what is your motive to grow in Christ? Why do you desire sanctification in Christ? And so Paul begins all this with a question. How can we live? How are we supposed to live? What is my motive for growth and sanctification in the Lord? Well, then he begins to lay all this out here for us in the following verses. So secondly, positionally, positionally because we have been declared holy because of our position in Christ, we've been set apart for God's use and purpose. Positionally then, we should no longer serve sin. Now here in this next portion of Romans 6, we're gonna encounter an interesting word. You ready for it? Baptize. Okay, let's read our passage here, Romans 6, 3 through 14, and you'll see the word baptize here, okay? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? It's a question. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. See, this is all part of our position in Christ. 
For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but are under grace. You see, there it again, there's the, there's the whole repeat of that whole thing. Should we continue in sin that grace would abound? God forbid that we should live that way. So this word here, baptize, it's an interesting word. And it's important to understand what Paul is talking about. Now, if you're coming to this chapter, Romans 6, and you're looking for water, you're not gonna find it. Anytime you see the word baptize does not always mean water, okay? What Paul is talking about here is a spiritual baptism, something that took place at the moment of salvation. It's not something that we are to be seeking again and again and again. It's a one-time act that took place at the moment of salvation. So Paul here is talking about our position in Christ. This is what happened at the moment of salvation. He's talking about this spiritual baptism. And there are some that teach you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit as an extra act. I don't find that here in uh, Romans chapter number six. Uh, there are some that, uh, that believe here that this baptism is something that, that you, it's an extra something that you have to desire. It's, it's not found here in Romans six. So it's important to understand what Paul is saying here. So Paul is teaching, tells us about this spiritual baptism, okay? And look what he says here, right? This position of the Christian, how does, this, how does this Christian get into this position, okay? It's achieved by spirit baptism, okay? That's why the Christian cannot live in sin as he formerly did, because look what he says here in verse number three. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? This is our position in Christ. You were baptized into the body and the death of Jesus Christ positionally. When did that happen? At the moment of salvation. So he talks here about this. Look, John the Baptist even declared this in Matthew 3.11. He says, as for me, I baptize you in water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not even fit to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Paul wrote in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. 
whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. The word baptize here meant not only to immerse or to dip, but also to cause to perish, as by drowning a man or sinking a ship. That's why here at this uh, Church, when we practice a physical form of baptism, a water baptism, we immerse. We're going to drown them, right, under the water, right? We bury them. It's a picture of what Christ did positionally in our life, okay? We're not really going to drown anybody, okay? But it's just the picture. We're immersing them completely, so the baptizing work of the Holy Spirit joins us to the person and work of Christ in such a way that we participate in his work on the cross. What did Christ do on the cross? He died, right? And so when we positionally come into the, to the saving knowledge of Christ, we are baptized into that same death we, take, we, we participate in that and we die with Christ. And so we are baptized by the Holy Spirit. And so what does this verse teach us? It teaches us that we died with him. So what, Paul is, so what is Paul really getting at here? Well, at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit baptized us into the death of Christ. We were joined to the person and the work of Christ so that we participated in the death of Christ for our sins. He died in our place as our substitute and Christ delivered us from the penalty of sin. You see that there? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We've been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. But with reference here to our sanctification and our growth, Christ died to sin. I mean, this is the whole point of this, right? How shall we live? Christ died to sin. How are we supposed to grow? So because Christ died to sin, all those who are baptized into the death of Christ, we then are delivered from the power of sin. This is the whole point that Paul is gonna be making here from verses three through 11. We are delivered from the power of sin, not the presence. Notice I didn't say the presence of sin, but the power of sin. You see, water baptism, the physical baptism that every New Testament church practices does not secure either salvation or sanctification but it symbolizes, it shows what has already taken place at the moment of salvation. That's why we practice it. Jesus told us to do it, but it's a symbol of what has taken place. At the moment of salvation, we were baptized into the death and the work of Jesus Christ and sin 
no longer has dominion over you, okay? So we symbolize that with a water baptism. So it's important to understand this. Our old self, what we were as a son of Adam, died to sin the moment we trusted Christ. That is, sin no longer has any claim or authority over us, just as the law has no authority over a dead man. Funny, interesting story. My grandfather, uh, at one time in his life, there was another man that had died and their social security numbers were very, very close in numbers. And their numbers just got switched by one number, okay? Well, my grandfather went to go collect his social security. Guess what? Okay, Mr. Wood, it says that you're deceased. <laughs> what do you mean I'm deceased? I'm right here. Nope, says it right here, you're dead. Can you imagine all the legal things that my grandfather had to do just because somebody made a mistake of this person who was dead? Now, was actually my grandfather said that he was dead. And you think about that. The law has no dominion over you. The law of sin has no dominion over you anymore. So the moment that you trusted Christ as your savior, it has no power over you, okay? Now there's, the presence of sin is still there, okay? And this is where it's really important to understand this because there are some that teach that the moment that you trust Christ as your savior, you have this second something, second, third, fourth, whatever it is, okay? They teach the fact that you no longer can sin. But the Bible's very clear. In fact, that's the whole point of Romans chapter seven. Paul says, hey, look, the things that I wanna do, the things that I don't do, the things that I do do, those are the things that I don't wanna do, right? There's this struggle that's going on. And so in our sanctification, God has done a work positionally. He has buried us with Christ. We have died with Christ and we shouldn't live that way anymore. Sin no longer has dominion over you. It doesn't have any power over you, but the presence of sin is still there. If I can give it to you this way, you will always still hear the call of sin, but you don't have to answer it. You see, that's, that is the ability for us to not have to answer or to participate in the sin in our lives. So our identification with Christ, in Christ we have been set free in Christ, death has no dominion over us anymore, okay? In Christ, we do not have to serve sin, okay? But a person who is lost, they will serve sin. Sin has full sway in their life, okay? Sin has complete authority over their life. 
But as those who know Christ, positionally, we should no longer be a servant of sin. Why? Because we have been raised to a newness of life. That's exactly what he says here. Look at verse number seven. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. Verse nine, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. So you also, there it is. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but are under grace. And so this whole practice, this whole process of sanctification is a matter of us realizing that we no longer serve sin, right? We're no longer enslaved to sin, but now we have been enslaved. We are servants and we are slaves of God. And we need to present our bodies. We need to present our members is what he says here for righteousness, we no longer are to use our bodies and use our members to serve unrighteousness in that sense, to obey its passions. So because of our position in Christ, you have been baptized into the death of Christ and he has sanctified you, has made you holy and you should no longer serve sin. Now, does that mean that you're not going to serve sin? No, no. Because guess what? I still serve sin. Many times that in my life, seasons in my life where I still serve sin because of my wants, because of my desires, because I decide, hey, this is gonna feel good. This is gonna be great. It's gonna be a gratification to my flesh. It's gonna be something that I want. And so therefore, what do I do? I yield to being a servant of sin. Do I have to do that? No. I don't have to do that because of my position in Christ. I have been set free from that. So I don't have to answer the call to sin, but sometimes we do. And we do it primarily because either, well, I'll give it to you just this way. Just give it to you straight. You want it straight, right? It's like the guy, would you rather get shot in the, in the leg five times or in the chest five times or a bullet to the head? Which one do you want? Bullet to the head, right? Get it over with, all right? So here it is, okay? A lot of the reasons why we continue to serve sin is just what Jesus said, okay? He said that you cannot serve two masters. Either you will love the one and hate the other, okay? You will either cling to one and despise the other. And a lot of the reasons why I continue to serve sin is primarily because I just don't love Jesus Christ like I should, because I want sin, in my life, I desire sin in my life, okay? Let's look at the last thing here, practically. So positionally, not only should we not serve sin, okay? But practically, we should not 
uh, no longer serve sin, okay? So there's this practical aspect of it, positionally, okay, positionally in Christ, we shouldn't serve sin because we have been set apart, but practically we shouldn't serve sin. Now look what he says here, okay? Verses uh, uh, 15 through 23, all right? This question here, he asked this other question, all right? And the question is essentially the same as it was in verse number one, okay? And you'll see how Paul is gonna repeat his argument here, all right? Look what he says here. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? It's basically a repeat of uh, question number one. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, 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 okay? So Paul says this, by no means we shouldn't do this. Paul lays down a very significant principle here in verse 16. Look what he says, all right? It says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness, okay? So what he's saying here is he's saying, we become the slaves of whatever we choose to obey. If we give in to sin and submit to it, we are the slaves of sin. If we submit to God and serve him, we become his slaves. Okay, so either you're a slave of sin or you're a slave of God, that's it, all right? So while we were unsaved, we had no choice, but where by our very nature, the very slaves of sin, you had no choice, you were a slave of sin. But notice what kind of fruit this service brought. Look at verse number 21. He says, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things which you are now ashamed? Right, what fruit, what service did this bring? It was hardly praiseworthy. I mean, I would, I would seriously, seriously doubt that any of us in here who know Christ, when you sin, are you happy about it? Are you joyous about it? Is it something that you're like, oh man, I'm so glad I got to do that. Boy, that really felt great. No. What do we feel? Boy, we feel shame. We feel guilt. Man, we... We don't like who we become, right? And so the fruit of this, it's, it's not even praiseworthy. It's nothing to, to sit there and gloat about. It's nothing to, to sit there and be like, man, that was really awesome, right? It's shameful, that's what he said. And so when we turned to God by faith in Christ and accepted the gospel, however, we were freed from serving sin and were made servants of God. And so in reality, as a believer, you now only have two options, slavery to sin or slavery to God, okay? And this is, a, this is a practical part of sanctification in our life, okay? Either we choose to serve sin or we choose to serve God, okay? So we must be one or the other. We are never really truly free in that sense, but only free to choose whether we will be the slaves of sin or the slaves of God, now, if there are times, and I think there are times that we think about serving sin, all right? Paul contrasts the two kinds of servitude. Look here at verses 21 through 23. He says, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and become the slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to, what is the word? 
Sanctification, there it is. There's your growth, okay? So because of that, because of when you be choose to serve God, because you choose to yield your body, your life to God, there's a process of sanctification that happens, okay? And so the sanctification and its end is eternal life. But what about the other one? Well, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here this whole process of sanctification, when we yield our lives to Christ, we yield our bodies to God, and we're gonna say, you know what? I'm not gonna serve sin, but I'm gonna serve Christ. I'm gonna yield my life to Christ because I've been baptized into his death, positionally in Christ. I've been declared holy. I've been set apart. So I'm not gonna live in sin any longer. And so what does God begin to do? He begins this process of sanctification in our life where he is setting us apart and he's using things in our life to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. And this is an ongoing process. I love what Jeff had to say uh, prior to this. It's an ongoing thing, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's, a not, a, it's not an in-final thing that takes place at the moment of salvation. It's an ongoing process. So not only does continuing to live in sin contradict our position in Christ as dead to sin and alive to God, and our profession of this at baptism, it violates every principle of common sense. Why? Because it constitutes us as slaves of sin. So if you continue to live in sin, really you're denying your position in Christ. You're saying, oh, I want to serve sin. I don't want to serve God. I want to continue to serve sin. And it's a contradiction of that. And it accomplishes shameful unrighteousness and it follows the path which leads to death. Now, what we see here in chapter six is not so much the method of sanctification as is really the motive of it, really, okay? We must leave the life of sin behind and seek to offer our bodies to God so that his righteousness may be lived out in us. That's the whole process of sanctification, okay? God wants to live out through you. So what do we learn from all this chapter? Well, the basis for our growth in Christ or our sanctification is to be found at the same place as we found the provision of our salvation. Where was that at? It was at the foot of the cross, Christ accomplished salvation for us. Was it anything that you did? I mean, is anybody in here say, hey, tell you what, this is what I did. Yeah, yep, hey, I, I, salvation's been provided for me because of what I have done. Is it something you did? No. So what about our growth in Christ? Is it something you do? Or is it something he does? As we yield our bodies to him, Christ is the one that provides the sanctification in our lives. It's nothing that you work up, okay? It's nothing that you, that you sit there and try to, to earn favor with God by doing all these extra things, okay? This is a whole process of, uh, of what we would call a treadmill type Christianity, all right? You're just always running, never going anywhere. Okay, boy, look what I'm doing for God. Oh, man, I'm really getting somewhere. 
Hey, no. The whole process of sanctification is done entirely through Christ. Christ working in us and he's bringing us to that place. He is making us and conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. It's something that he does uh, as we yield our lives to him. As we continue on here in uh, Romans 7 and 8 in the, in the next weeks, um, if I can give you a little preview here, okay? Although sanctification is absolutely necessary, so it is also absolutely impossible to accomplish through human striving and effort. And that's where we'll be going through here about the process of sanctification. I think sometimes we really miss the importance of the gospel because sometimes we think of the gospel as something that we believed in at the moment of salvation. Now that we're saved, now that we got it all taken care of, hey, that's it, right? Now it's left up to me to do this whole process of the Christian living. But really, um, the gospel is more than just a one-time event. It's a life call. And it's a call of continual repentance, right? Taking off the old, putting on the new. Taking off the old, putting on the new. Taking off the old, putting on the new. Continual repentance, a life of continual repentance. And so God does that uh, through sanctification. So Christ has sanctified us. He has separated us to himself for his purpose and use. And he's working a work in us that as we yield our lives, he brings growth and change in our lives. And it's a consistent challenge, I believe, to all of us. Okay, it's a consistent challenge that our practical outliving of our lives should conform to our position. So if you know Christ, if you're a believer, if you've been separated unto him, he has declared you to be holy, then live like it. That's how you should practically uh, put this in the sense. So if he's made you holy, then be holy. Okay? Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church. Thank you.